Welcome to Biology for Bastards, teaching biology in the most profane way you've ever seen or heard. I'm your host, John Doty. Thanks for listening. This season, we're taking a deep dive into evolution, and it's hard to fucking believe we are already on chapter four, which is all about mutations and variations and all the shit that goes along with that. So before we get into the new shit, we've got to go back and do a little bit of genetics review, because if you don't know this genetic shit, you're fucked. Just simple as that. So diving into it, um, we're talking about genomes, we're talking about genes, we're talking about DNA, because most organisms use DNA as their genetic material. The only things that really don't are viruses. There are some viruses out there that use RNA instead of DNA, but depending on who you talk to, those may or may not be considered organisms. And we'll get into what makes like a species later this season. But an organism, you know, something that's alive, um, they are made up, their genetic material, their genomes, that's the fucking they I'm trying to talk about, are made up of at least one chromosome, could be more, could be well, can't be fewer than one, because then it would be zero. That's not fucking allowed. So, one or more chromosomes. And it's really important to remember that when we talk about genes, all we're really talking about is a chunk of a chromosome that does um, a certain job. It has a certain function that it's going to perform. Now, when we talk about genomes, that's all the genetic information that an organism has. And there's very, very, very little correlation between how complex an organism is and how large the genome is. There are some organisms that are very, very simple that have very large genomes. There are some organisms that are very complex that have a very small genome. So there's little correlation between the complexity of the genome and, sorry, the complexity of an organism and the size of the genome. Now, when we talk about the genetic code, um, that's how we use the information found in genes, the A's, the G's, the C's, the T's, and how they relate to codons and how those codons are related to amino acids. Now, that genetic code is basically the same for all of life on Earth. So the way that three C's in a row making up a codon would code for proline in a bumblebee. It's the same fucking idea for a tree and an amoeba and all this other shit. Okay, so um, with those, we do have mutations that can arise. And we lump mutations into two categories, whether they're synonymous or non-synonymous. So a synonymous mutation is also known as a silent mutation. That's where you have a change in a base um, or a change within a codon that does not alter the amino acid. So it's usually a change in the third base where there's a little bit of wobble, a little wiggle room, where going back to the proline example, three C's, CCC codes for proline, but so does CCU or CCG. So if you have a mutation in that third base, that could be a silent or synonymous mutation. And then a non fuck, that word is hard, non-synonymous, nailed it, non-synonymous mutation. It's also known as a replacement mutation that happens when the change in the codon does alter the amino acid. And usually 
those are no bueno. Those are bad. So we don't fucking like those. Those are bastards. Now, when it comes to carrying out this process of using the genetic code to read the DNA and turn it into a protein, uh, we're going to synthesize these proteins in three main stages. Step one is transcription, where we have DNA and it gets transcribed into pre-mRNA. If we're talking about a eukaryote, this is happening within the nucleus. Um, that's transcription. At that point, the pre-mRNA is going to be edited. It's going to be spliced to form mature mRNA, where the introns get cut out so that the exons can get fused together. And the exons are going to be the things that are going to code for the amino acids. And this whole process allows a single gene to code for more than one protein because you can edit out some of the introns this go around and get one protein and leave them in as exons, you know, in the future or whatever, and get a totally different fucking protein. So it lets it be um, a little more varied in what the one gene can do. It gives it multiple opportunities, multiple proteins they can turn into. And then after you get that the mature mRNA, it is translated into the amino acids that make up the protein. Now this is kind of the step that the steps that life just goes through in order to get shit done. Um, is this transcription, the translation process? And there's a bunch of vocab that goes with the idea of talking about genetics things like phenotype and genotype and alleles, all that shit that we've covered before last season. Um, so just quick run through of those things. Phenotype, observable characteristics, the shit that you can see or how the shit gets put into action. Genotype, that is going to be what allele, what alleles the organism has. Now an allele is just the variant at a locus. The locus is just the name of a gene, like where the fucking gene is. So you have genes at a particular locus on a chromosome, loci if we're talking about plural, and that is going to develop or distinguish the genotype. And that will develop into the phenotype as it's transcribed and translated. And then lastly, if we have an allele, we have multiple alleles at a given locus, we can say that DNA sequence is polymorphic. There's multiple variations at a given locus. It is polymorphic. Now, one example of these polymorphisms um, is this idea of a single nucleotide polymorphism. And this is where we start to get into some of this new shit. Um, so single nucleotide polymorphisms are abbreviated SNPs, SNP, and this is what happens when a specific DNA base in the genome varies among individuals. So when you do like a DNA fingerprint of an individual, you are looking for SNPs. And that distinguishes one organism from another. And we can go through and do a bunch of fucking calculations if we really wanted to. Um, but we don't really have to. At this point, we're going to get there. This is just kind of our review shit, like going through. And if you do a bunch of genetic testing and you figure out 
how often this one variant is showing up, this how often this allele is showing up, then you can get your allele frequency. And that just tells you how often a variant occurs at a locus or at a given DNA base within a population. It's the fucking percentage. How common is it? That's the allele frequency. And then kind of our last big idea um, of this little bit of review is this idea of mixing genes. When it comes to mixing your genes, if you have meiosis, so if organisms are having sex with each other and fucking and doing all that fun stuff, um, you will have segregation and recombination because recombination happens um, during meiosis and it also happens when the genes combine and then segregation happens only during meiosis. Now, if the organism does not go through meiosis, you only have recombination. You only have the genes kind of mixing up. Um, and that's, you know, most of the time, not always. They don't always have recombination if you don't have meiosis, but you can. But you definitely don't have segregation because that's when the homologous chromosomes are separating from each other. That happens during meiosis one. So if you don't have meiosis, you definitely do not have segregation. But we're going to talk in a little detail about shit that happens during segregation. How the genes get mixed during segregation. Um, so again, segregation is just when one of the two copies of a given locus is put into a gamete. So if we want to give a fucking technical definition, it's the selection of one of the two copies of a locus when a gamete is made during meiosis. Boring-ass definition there. Okay? But it is important to note that this is not happening if you do not have meiosis. It happens during meiosis. Okay? And what it does is this idea of segregation, or this process, it's not an idea, this process of segregation, it's going to change the allele frequency I almost fucked up there it's going to change the proportion of genotypes in a population but it is not going to change allele frequencies because the alleles themselves are not changing it's, we're just changing how they are put together how they are sorted how they are arranged so we're changing the proportion of genotypes but we're leaving allele frequencies the fuck alone when it comes to segregation. Okay, so what we can end up with is offspring that have a genotype that is different from either of its parents. So that's what we can get as a result of the segregation. And like I said, we are changing the proportion of genotypes in a population from one generation to the next, but we're leaving allele frequencies the fuck alone. And this brings us to this idea of the Hardy-Weinberg equilibrium. Now, Hardy-Weinberg is this awesome idea that's going to tell the relative proportions of genotypes in a population when segregation is the only factor that is going to change genotypic frequencies. Now, there's a lot to that definition. So when segregation is the only thing that changes genotypic frequencies, in order to have this Hardy-Weinberg equilibrium, we have to have 
five conditions met for this to occur. We have to have an infinite population size or a fucking huge-ass population. We cannot have natural selection occurring. We cannot have mutations occurring. We cannot have movement between populations. And we have to have random-ass mating. So, infinite population size, no natural selection, no mutation, no movement between populations, and random mating. Now, it's easy to kind of realize that no real population is going to meet all of these conditions perfectly. But we can use Hardy-Weinberg equilibrium and the mathematics involved to see if one of these conditions is not met. So we're using it to kind of measure how far off from the equilibrium these organisms or these populations are. So you might remember Hardy-Weinberg e equilibrium as like P squared plus 2PQ plus Q squared equals 1, and then P plus Q equals 1. Those are the formulas. Um, if you want to follow along, I've got math worked out on the slides available on the website biologyforbastards.com. Got to do the plug every show, so go check it out. Um, so we're going to tweak that ever so slightly where we're going to get rid of Q and just focus on P because we have one locus that we care about and we have a second one. So we're going to abbreviate those loci A sub 1 and A sub 2 or just A1 and A2. So when we're doing our math, the frequency of one of them is going to be p squared, and the frequency of the other is going to be 1 minus p squared. So it's the difference of 1 minus p, all of that squared. And then our heterozygotes are going to be 2p times 1 minus p. So it makes it a little bit more complicated to explain verbally, but that's where I'd really suggest go check out the slides, see what's going down. I've got some practice problems. Um, in those slides so you can kind of follow along and see what the hell is happening as we talk about this stuff. And like I said, we use this to see if something other than segregation is the cause of the change in genotypic frequencies. We can see how far away from equilibrium a population is, and that's going to tell us there's some sort of driving force behind the changes in that population. Okay. And then that brings us to the other half of this gene mixing. We just finished talking about gene mixing by segregation. We're now going to talk about gene mixing by recombination. So what recombination is, this is when um, a gamete, um, you have a gene copy at one locus inherited from the mother, and you combine it with the gene copy at a second locus that was inherited from the father. So you're combining um, different loci. So to simplify that, we're taking the gene for like height and recom recombining, not recombining it. Yeah, that's the fucking word. Recombining it with the gene for color. So just how those things get mixed up. So we're just combining within a gamete a gene copy at one locus 
inherited from one parent with a gene copy at a second locus that was inherited from the other parent. And we can measure this um, using the recombination rate, which is abbreviated R, little r. And this whole process is happening during crossing over of meiosis, so during prophase one. And when we measure the probability that recombination occurs between a given pair of loci, that's our recombination rate. The minimum is zero. So there is zero recombination between those. So that's where they're linked. They're definitely linked. They are side by side. They are adjacent on the chromosome. They're always inherited together. And then the maximum R value is 0.5 or one half. And that's where they're on different chromosomes where it's the flip of a coin, whether you get the one version or the second version, the one allele or the second one. Now, when you have this happening, um, more than you expect by chance, because all of this shit just happens by chance. So if you have one allele, or sorry, an allele at one locus found together in the population more often than expected by chance with an allele at a second locus, so if they are linked, this is known as linkage disequilibrium. Fucking nailed it. Thought I was going to fuck that up. Linkage disequilibrium. It's when one allele at one locus is found together within a population more often than expected by chance with an allele at a second locus. And what happens is recombination and crossing over and all that shit moves a population towards linkage equilibrium. So it disrupts disequilibrium. Two negatives make a positive. So recombination moves a population towards linkage equilibrium. Okay. And when you have linkage equilibrium, this is analogous to Hardy-Weinberg at a single locus. So everything's the same. It takes a while to reach. It takes multiple generations to get linkage equilibrium. And really all we're saying when we have something that has reached linkage equilibrium is there's no statistical association between alleles at those two loci. And there's a way to sit and calculate, calculate, fuck, messed up again, calculate linkage disequilibrium. It is measured by the value D, as in disequilibrium. And this is where checking out the show notes are going to be super fucking important. Because I'm going to try to explain this. But it's fucking confusing as hell to try to explain math verbally. So, what we have, we have D is equal to capital P sub AB. So, P AB minus PA times PB. What the fuck does all that shit mean? Well... Linkage disequilibrium is equal to the frequency of gametes carrying both the A and the B alleles that we are focused on. So A2 and B2. So that's the P sub AB. Frequency of gametes carrying both A and B alleles that we care about minus the product of the frequency of gametes with the A allele we care about and any B allele 
and the frequency of gametes with the B allele we care about and any A allele. So it's D equals PAB minus the product of PA times PB. So check out the notes if you really want to see that equation. Um, if the population is in linkage equilibrium, D is equal to zero because everything cancels it out. The chance of having the B allele we care about with the A and the A we care about with the B is going to be canceled out by the frequency of the A we care about with any other B allele and the B allele we care about with any other A allele. So they will cancel each other out if they are in linkage equilibrium. Now, if our D, our linkage disequilibrium, is a positive number, this is going to occur when the two alleles we're focused on appear together more often than chance, more often than expected by chance. So conversely, D will be negative if those two alleles occur less than expected. So if we expect it to happen, you know, at a rate of like 0.25, because it's got to be between 0 and 0.5, so just right in the middle, so 0.25, D will be positive if it happens more often than expected, and it will be negative if it happens less often than expected. And what recombination does is it moves D towards zero. And D is going to be higher between any pairs that are closer together. So the higher D is, the more closely the alleles are going to be to each other. Now, this idea of linkage disequilibrium is going to affect how genes evolve, because if a combination of genes have a high fitness, linkage disequilibrium is going to evolve. So for whatever reason, if it's good to have a certain combination of alleles, linkage disequilibrium is going to be generated between those, which means they're going to be inherited together more often. This might have something to do with epistasis, if you remember epistasis. That's where you have the effect of an allele at one locus depends on the allele of the second locus. And the classic example is always like golden labs. You have the allele saying have pigmentation or don't, and then you have another locus that says be black or brown. So that's epistasis. So that's all our gene mixing shit. We had gene mixing with segregation, followed by gene mixing by recombination. Well, how the fuck do you get gene mixing if you don't have sex? Well, the answer is through something known as horizontal gene transfer. This is where you have movement of DNA between individuals without help of sexual reproduction. There's a whole bunch of different ways. We are not going into detail about those different ways right now, but it is important to make note that this movement can be between individuals of the same species or, and this is fucked up, sometimes between individuals of different species. That's fucking weird as shit. But that's a fun little thing that we'll get into in more detail. Again, I keep saying that because these first few chapters are a bunch of intro 
before we get into the really new shit later. So, mutations. Okay, another source of, you know, getting new genes. Genetic variation is just mutations. And it's the ultimate source of genetic variation in organisms. And it can be thought of, of this inevitable consequence of the second law of thermodynamics. So if you want to get super fucking deep with mutations, second law of thermodynamics, which implies that no process can occur without error. Mutations are just thermodynamically inevitable, which is like, wow, mind blown. Um, there are two main categories of mutations. We can have point mutations, where a single DNA base is going to be changed from one base to another of the four possible character states. And we can have structural, where we have changes from, you know, as small as a few bases, two, three, four, all the way up to billions, with a B, of bases. And obviously, structural mutations are going to be a little more severe than the point mutations, but that's that's just fucking life. There's a shit ton of different types of mutations. Um, there are deletions, insertions, duplications, inversions, reciprocal translocations, fusions, fissions, all this shit. I'll go through each of those real fast. Okay, Should be kind of review still, but we'll go through them. Um, deletions. Segment of the chromosome is left out during replication. Fairly straightforward. Most, but not all of them, that actually knock out genes are going to be fucking harmful because you're deleting information. And the information we have, we have for a reason. Life has evolved to have all that information. So you get rid of some shit, you're fucked. Hey, insertions. The opposite. A segment of DNA is added to a chromosome either from a nearby from nearby on the same chromosome or elsewhere in the genome. So you just get a little extra from somewhere else. Duplication mutations is when a second copy of a gene is inserted into the genome. This can happen a bunch, and you get a gene family where you get several copies of a gene at the original locus, and those different genes may evolve slightly different um, functions. More on that later. We get inversions, where a chromosome breaks in two places and the middle segment is reinserted in the reverse orientation, so it just gets inverted. We get, can have reciprocal translocations, which is an exchange of chromosome segments between two non-homologous Chromosomes, And that's what makes them this mutation. It's not crossing over. That is between homologous chromosomes, but with a reciprocal translocation is if non-homologous chromosomes exchange information. Then fusion has happened uh, when two non-homologous chromosomes join together to make one larger. Um, and then fission is the opposite, where one chromosome breaks into two. And I can tell you for a fact that we have had a fusion mutation um, since human shared ancestors with chimpanzees. Chimps have 48 chromosomes. We have 46. 
our chromosome number one is caused by the fusion of two chromosomes um, that chimpanzees have. Now, when we have things like fusions or fissions, they often have no effect, no obvious phenotypic effect. So the number of chromosomes, going back to what I said at the very beginning, um, with the size of the genome, doesn't really have any major effect on phenotypes. So that fusion that happened, that's not what caused, you know, chimps and humans to dive, to fuck. Well, not to fuck. I've just fucked up and couldn't say the word diverge. So I said fucks. But, you know, whatever. Whatever. Getting towards the end. So if you're still listening, yay you. Um, that's awesome. We're almost done. I'm wrapping it up soon. So, um... Those are all our structural mutations. Now, we can measure how often mutations happen. It's the mutation rate, and it's abbreviated with mu, the Greek letter mu. And the mutation rate is just the probability that an offspring will carry a new mutation. And the per-locus mutation rates are going to be higher when we're looking at a single base because the locus carries a mutation Sorry, I just fucked that up. I was reading my notes and got ahead of... Sorry. So, if we look at the mutation rates at a per-locus rate, so per-gene, those are going to be higher than they are for a single base rate because the single base rate it's, has to happen in that single place. If we're looking at it from the locus level, it can happen in any of the base pairs if there's a mutation. So sorry for fucking that up. Uh, that's my bad. I'll own that. So I fucked up. My bad. Every time we as humans make a gamete, we have roughly 30 new mutations scattered throughout the genome. So that's just a fun fact for you. That's what I was reading when I fucked up the whole locus mutation rates higher than single base. So my bad. But moving on. Now, when we have effects of mutations. Most mutations have absolutely no effect on fitness because natural selection favors low mutation rates because it favors getting your shit together and keeping your shit together. If you do have effects on fitness, most are going to be deleterious, so they're going to be fucking bad. Um, and most mutations that do have a phenotypic effect are going to have this effect known as pleiotropy or pleiotropy. Don't really know how the fuck to pronounce it. P-L-E-I-O-T-R-O-P-Y. Pleiotropy is what I'm going to go with. Pleiotropy. And this is when a single gene affects multiple traits. So if you think of like albinism being an albino. That's one gene that affects a shit ton of different traits. Um, if you look at the effects of like growth hormone, that one gene that determines how much growth hormone you have, that's going to determine your like the size of your heart and the size of your hands and the size of your body. and the si So it's a lot of shit that gets affected by one mutation or one gene. That's pleiotropy. 
um, moving on, differentiating between germline and soma cells, germline, they get set aside. Those are going to make your gametes once you are sexually mature. Soma, that's all the rest of the shit in your body. That's just the little thing. Um, it's the mutations that happen in the germline that are going to be the really serious ones because those are the ones that get passed on to your offspring. So those are the ones that when we really talk about mutations, those are the ones that we're really, really focused on. Now, with that mutation rate that I talked about, that mu, uh, I said natural selection favors low mutation rate. There's going to be a shit ton of variation um, in the mutation rates between different regions of the genomes and between different DNA bases. So it's just, it's not the same for every organism, for every gene, for every everything. Mutation rates are going to vary depending on where they're happening. And you're going to have transition mutations that happen between from one purine to another, so from like A to G, or from a pyrimidine to the other, from C to T. And then transversions are all the other changes. So it might be a C to an A or a C to a G, whatever. It's from one to the other type. And this brings us to our last idea, which is non-genetic inheritance. Because we talked about how all that shit can change. But life is a little more complicated than we make it out in a basic biology class. And we can have epigenetic inheritance, which happens when you have inherited changes to chromosomes that don't alter the DNA sequence. And this happens because stuff like adenine and cytosine can be methylated, which will change its structure. We have histones that bind to DNA uh, that can be biochemically modified, make things easier or harder to transcribe. We have all these effects that are happening without changing the actual DNA that they're not stable. So they will affect a couple generations, but then they typically dissipate. So it's this weird kind of temporary alteration of gene expression when we're talking about epigenetics. But we can have other types of inheritance, like maternal effects, uh, where a genotype or a phenotype of the mother is going to directly influence the phenotype of the offspring. So this might be something about like caring for the young. If the phenotype of the mother, say we're talking about mammals and the mammal doesn't produce much milk, the child's going to be malnourished, it's going to affect how it grows, it's going to affect all this other shit, so that's going to be a certain type of inheritance. And then we have cultural inheritance transmitted by behavior or learning, and those are fucking cool because it can be transmitted between unrelated individuals. So that's kind of fucking nifty as hell. But that brings us to the end of chapter four about mutation and variation, where the fuck all this gene mixing and inheritance actually comes from. So we're going to wrap shit up. Um, 
please, please, please go and rate us on Apple Podcasts for whatever reason. It's the one where everybody likes to fucking go and determines how well we do on charts and everything. Um, but also, go to Podchaser. Make a little account. You can rate and everything. And for the next two weeks, I think, a little less at this point, um, they're going to donate 25 cents to every four. Fuck. Fuck that up. This is what I get for trying to do it off the cuff. Um, they are going to donate 25 cents for every review um, that they get on their site. 25 cents is going to Meals on Wheels, which is a really good cause. And if the podcast replies to the review, they're going to double it and give 50 cents. And I will go through and I will reply to every review for the show just so more money gets donated to Meals on Wheels. It's a really good cause. So, with that being said, like I said, rate, review, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, tell all your friends. Um, Hope you're getting through this whole quarantine period. Uh, Yeah, it's it's been fun. And with all of that, this has been Biology for Bastards. I've been your host, John Doty. And our intro and outro music is the song Feeling Good by Purple Planet Music. And until next time, thanks for listening. So you may have just heard an ad, but I can't end with an ad. So just wanted to say, follow us on Twitter at Bio4Bastards. Our intro and outro music is Feeling Good by Purple Planet Music. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, tell everybody you know about it. And again, thanks for listening.